0: anyway back to the podcast it is not ideal that i am doing both like in the sense of like we value everyone getting involved so i <laughs> particularly in an age when uh, there's a lot of focus on how leaders lead in the church and you know autocracy and them sort of being um, some some leaders who just like to have a lot of control i I hope i'm the opposite so it's somewhat ironic that many weeks i'm doing an awful lot but that our heart is that there would be preachers teachers worship leaders coming through all the time so uh just a little comment on that if you have a bible could you turn to luke chapter 10 luke chapter 10. we are um, about two-thirds of the way through a series called in the city and for the city and the big idea is fairly simple, but it's, I think, fairly profound, particularly at this time when, uh, you know, man, San Francisco has had a tough, tough, tough year and a half. You don't need me to persuade you of that. It's just very true. Um, we're looking at this question of, of how we can be a little community that nevertheless thinks beyond our own lives and our own issues. and there's, how, Jesus, can I, you know, one day at a time, how can I love well one person at a time? One of our core kind of vision statements is that, is that we would love well one person at a time. That when we get to the end of our day, we put our head on the pillow and that taste of like, well, I couldn't control most of what happened today, but what I did do, to the best of my ability, when I was with another human, was I, I, de- I endeavored to not use them, or to not need them in an unhelpful way but just to love them and if we are all focused on doing that not just in our own church community but with our neighbors and our friends and our work colleagues and those that we play with and those that are in the city it's actually incredibly powerful what a people committed to so simple but significant a vision uh such as that can be what does it mean to love our neighbor as ourselves? the royal law that Jesus said. And at a time when it is so natural, I get it, to pull back and to get even more introspective after two years of introspection and even like legal things saying, you need to be on your own and you can't see anyone. It's so natural to be even more introspective. We're sensing that despite that natural inclination, that there just might be a supernatural God inclination to say, no, no, I want you to lean in despite the tiredness and not having that much to give, and in that place of weakness, nevertheless partnering with me in asking that question. We're looking at the tension between the fact that nearly all of us would say, do you know, my head says I want to do that, Tom. I wanna be someone who isn't all about my own life, but actually believes you that even in the next seven days before we meet again, there could be adventures with people I don't even know, that you're gonna connect me with, and amazing things are gonna happen. But then, Tom, there's this tension because in my heart, I'm exhausted. (laughs) And there's so many uncertainties. And I'm just trying to get some sleep at night and just trying to not scream and implode. And just, you know, I'm just trying to survive. There's this tension. But here's the brilliant news. In Luke chapter 10, a close and careful examination of this text will reveal to us Not a demanding taskmaster drill sergeant, Jesus, who is, you know, just demanding so much of you despite your fragility. No, no, no. What we see is these wonderful, releasing, kind truths as to how Jesus wants us, despite our weakness, to actually lean in with Him and to love well one person at a time. We've been looking at things like. Jesus says, first of all, you've got, to be, you've got to have a foundation of being fathered. This isn't about you going off as an orphan and making something happen. We've been looking at the fact that we're called to pray for the sick. Just even a few weeks ago, the level of faith in this room as we prayed for people to be healed. We looked at the fact that we're called to look for people of peace. And to not try and convert everybody, even when they're clearly not a person of peace. And today, the good news gets even better. I know I can't see all your faces because of your masks, some of you. But today, what we see in the text, it's not my idea, it's Jesus' idea, is this. What's another way that Jesus says you can meaningfully impact San Francisco, despite your fragility? Guess what? It's eating. It's eating consistently and intentionally. Yes, with those around you that you know, but even with those that you don't know. It has been said about Jesus... That Jesus, when you look at him in the Gospels, was either on his way to a meal, at a meal, or just leaving a meal. That might be a slight overstatement, but actually, when when you do look at the text, there's a lot of truth in that. And you see, Jesus didn't just come with a message, although he did. And he didn't just come with miracles, but he did. He came with a specific method. And that method, in case you haven't seen it before, was front and centre whatever possible eating with the world around him again and again and again it's such a huge huge theme in the ministry of jesus but so often we miss it and we're going to look at why for so many of us it's not actually necessarily a big part of our average week or month but it's huge he didn't just have a message or miracles he had a method the way he caught fish wasn't just hoping that fish would jump into his boat he had a method you know, he had a rod. That was the way that it happened. And uh, we're going to look here in Luke t- chapter 10. I think we have verse, uh, I think it's verse 5. I can't actually remember what verses I get. Is it up there? I can't see it. Yeah, yeah, you should have it. Okay, so Luke chapter 10, verse 5. Who wants to read verse 5 and 7? 5 to 7. Hannah's ready again. Oh, Raymond. Come on, Raymond. Uh, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, they will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Actually, verse 8 as well, when you enter. When you enter a town and are welcome, what is offered. Okay, so there we see... Um, again and again this theme that jesus is saying this is the specific method that i want you to uh, give yourself to now for some of you will be like hey this is great news even in my little family some of my family are really into eating and some of them are not but this is this is uh, for three reasons i'm going to give us today a hugely important part of of how we can love our neighbors well how we can be in the city for the city is by eating, finding ways to eat with those around us. Three reasons. Number one, because when we eat, it points to him, to Jesus. It points to him. Number two, it points to us. And number three, it points to them. Okay, so what do I mean by that? First of all, when we eat, When we find ways to eat regularly or at least occasionally with those who don't know Christ, the first reason I think it's so important is because the act of eating itself, that method, that thing, that activity, as distinct from any other way that you can try and express the Gospel, expresses the Gospel in a way that is distinctly Jesus-shaped. So, turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 just a few pages earlier on there are so many examples of Jesus eating and over the the time of eating amazing things happen here we go verse 27 of Luke 5 after this Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth follow me Jesus said to him and Levi got up left everything and followed him now look what happens next And then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, and I love this, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance classic jesus you see the pharisees we have to understand the pharisees who were some of the religious leaders in in, uh, in israel at that time one of the key things that they were believing was that it was that israel needed to be purer it needed to be purer it wasn't pure enough they were always Um, emphasizing the need for greater and greater purity in the temple in normal life and particularly in the home and in Jewish culture who you ate with was a really big deal it communicated a lot about your values and about how you lived your life so for Jesus to be happily eating in the presence of Levi and other tax collectors who as you will know were seen as absolute traitors and cowards and just the lowest of the low in that society, along with it, just says other sinners, which probably means prostitutes or certainly um, people of that kind of you know social strata. For Jesus to be joyfully, happily eating in their presence with them, it's difficult for us to, com- to, to compute, but was communicating that would have something that would have been hugely. Um, hugely controversial to the religious leaders of the day. It would have been um, incredibly different to how they would have viewed what the Messiah would be like. Incredibly different. But Jesus did this because this is the heart of the Gospel. You see, the basic idea of the family unit not just being this closed thing, But the family unit and eating around the table being a place where others can come in regularly is so central to the Christian faith. So central. Because the Christian God is a family. Not Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It's the ultimate family who had the ultimate cosy setup in heaven. And yet, staggeringly, they chose to send the Son who willingly came and spent so much of his life eating with those who had been God's enemies. Like he's literally eating with those who had been set against him. And he's joyfully, mercifully loving them, accepting them, and forgiving them. Not just in word, through message and miracles, but through his intimacy. Like, can you imagine what it would have been like to actually have an unhurried meal with Jesus to see what his hair colour was like to see whether he ate quickly or slowly whether he sat up or whether he you know reclined to actually there's something about that that activity of eating that is so intimate isn't it it's why often if you have a date with someone what's the most natural thing you tend to do is you go for a meal because it's intimate you know if you get something caught in your beard it's a bit embarrassing. Kids are like, Dad, you got a cornflake in your bed. You know, it's, it's slightly exposing, isn't it? You, it's harder to sort of to present this perfect thing. And Jesus is just joyfully in their environment. And I love this. It's been said about Jesus. Jesus, he didn't come and start projects, he ate with people. He didn't come and start all these different ministries. He just, again and again, ate with people. So I guess what I'm appealing for is for us initially to sort of see ourselves in those tax collectors and sinners. In that picture, the first step is to see yourself as someone who Jesus said, Hey Jackie, come on, let's eat together. Come. I, I, know, I know you feel like you, you're not worthy because I'm God, but I, I want you to come and eat with me. Not just to come to a meeting, but to come and to dine with Christ. When you became a Christ follower, you began a meal, a lifetime, of him accepting you despite all of the stuff that you thought, said or done, or that you hadn't done that you shouldn't have It's amazing. I, I love that idea that he, he, he eats with us. And so what it means is, is that when we choose to eat with those, particularly who do not know Christ, who are different to us, you are in that activity. Like a, it's like a liturgy you're doing. You're, you're doing an activity, a, a, a practice, even if you don't want to do it, that already is starting to act out something, like a drama, physically, as an embodied soul, with another human, that is acting out something that you have first received. It communicates, actions speak so much louder than words, right? We can say we love people, we're interested, but... The idea of actually eating with people. I remember a, a couple of years ago, I, I think it was when we were all kind of just one sanctuary group and we had Thanksgiving meal. And I remember Jesse and Sarah invited Helena, who's a Polish elderly lady who spends eight hours a day on our street every day. And she just lives alone. And I remember them inviting her in, into our environment. And she can't speak much English, but she looked wonderful. And She... She, you know, dressed up and she was feeling something. She was absorbing something of the Christian message through eating with his people. This is a powerful thing. You have to understand, in the West today, we, this is a double challenge. It's a double challenge because, you see, for Jesus to basically say, hey guys, in your normal lives, in your family units, whatever that looks like, I want you to regularly bringing people in who don't know Christ, just into that environment. That's a challenge, right? It's a huge challenge for the West right now because even the activity of a family eating together has massively, massively decreased in the last 40 years. In the last 30 years, in the US, there's been a 33% decline in families eating together. And there's been a 45% decline in families expressing hospitality. So, sociological studies have shown that in the 60s, families ate together much more and they often included neighbours and friends and work colleagues and other people into that environment. It has massively changed in the last 40 years. Do you know now, of the 21 meals that you'll have in your average week, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, have a guess how many, apparently, sociologically, Um, studies have shown, in the US, how many of those meals a family will now eat together? Have a guess at 21. Three. Three, well done Tyler. Three! So now I know, I know that people have early starts and there's, I get it, that there's travel and everything and I'm not, to a sense, to some of those things are outside of our control, but man, alongside some of the things that are outside of our control, there is also this very significant shift where meals have just become a means to an end, right? It's an inconvenience. I've just got to have a quick lunch, get through it and then get back to work. And we feel like it's just like this inevitable thing, whereas, whereas Jesus one of his main methods for communicating the gospel was based around meals. And yet we live in a time where in the West, the meal, the family unit, all that's just taken a huge pounding which means that we have to be very intentional about thinking well I'm not going to come under guilt today okay but I am going to come if there's any conviction here Lord if there's like a good challenge that you want to bring in because I don't think this is about actually adding in loads of different things into our life this is the good news I think it's about a mindset about an activity that we all do and saying Jesus Do you want to help me be open to ways in which something like a meal can become this pretty sacred moment where I enact something that you've given me to the world around me? Or am I just going to keep, you know, eating my little sandwich on my own every day? Or is is there a way that, are there adventures, Jesus? If this is something you told us to do, my conviction is I'm like putting the pressure on Jesus then. I'm like, well, Jesus, I don't do this that often, but I want to grow in it. So are there ways that those 21 slots, even if I just started to see some of them as a time where you might have people of peace that I could eat with? I remember repenting to the church in Canterbury when I first thought about this. Every year uh, I had a uh, a birthday curry. Curry is my favourite food. Uh, Anyone like curry? It's the best food in the world. And um, I would always go to the ancient Raj in Canterbury and I remember... You know, one birthday I just I, I made my list, it was about 30 people, and in like 10 minutes I'd made my list, and the invites were out. And I was like, I suddenly realized the entire group was all Christians from the church. Even though I had a dozen so friends who weren't believers, but I had automatically, out of comfort, And just like familiarity and rhythm automatically thought oh yeah just my Christian brothers and sisters oh my goodness Jesus this is not this is not how you would do it you that's not how you lived you didn't live in this bubble you were so wonderfully relaxed but intentional about saying father what would it look like for actually more and more something as simple as eating to be given over to you all of my life including eating and so I had to de- de-invite about five or ten people. And uh, I said to them, if, please don't get offended, all right? And some of them did. One of them was like a pastor. And I was like, for goodness sake, help me grow. Like This is a big deal. I am a terrible offender. I'm in this bubble and I've got to break out. Anyway, most people were like, cool, that's great. And I remember that, that first, that, 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 that curry and just realising that like, there was... No one suddenly started bringing up Jesus or anything. It was just eating together, yeah? But uh, there was something, this precious group of, of, of men and women I knew who didn't know Jesus, and this precious group who did, and just being together in that environment, a little glass of wine, tucking into the curry, something was happening in the. So it. and I was like thank you Jesus and I then I remember only a little while later being invited to join this pub group that I think I mentioned to you already um, and and it was a similar deal and I'll talk about it in a moment in more de- in, in more detail but first question is well, my first point really is this is this points to him you want your friends to know Jesus right we all do he's so good but Jesus is like one of the key ways I communicated the goodness of of God was through eating it wasn't just through telling them about God or even praying for them it was through eating so it points to God the method the method points to Jesus it's great so like even before you, you don't have, to have to say anything profound just doing this physical thing Jesus says really does communicate something about the gospel the gospel of a God who is willing to eat with people secondarily though it points to you now that's huge because do you know one of the biggest challenges that non-christians have with christians is they think they are judgmental am i wrong no i'm not i'm i'm right i know that because i have experienced it for decades it is the same in the bay like it was in europe it is people and often have good reason to think that because they've experienced judgmental christians who have basically said being a christians being good which makes me want to punch that last thing it's not that it is you are sinful you are sinful and you are heading towards judgment and you need a savior and that savior has saved you and he has got the glory and he will carry you home it is about him and we come out of a place of scandalous acceptance and the older we should get, the more humbler we should get. The more aware of our fragility and our brokenness. Man, I, I feel justified in a righteous anger towards moralism. You know, not all anger is wrong. You know, Jesus got angry at the right things. And it says in the Psalms, he, he loves righteousness and he hates wickedness. Sorry, I, I, just, I just feel like this is such a big deal for us. To be a community that doesn't leak judgment. But how do you do that? Well, one of the ways you do it is through eating. Because when you eat with people, they get to see the real you. Don't they? Now, one of the, one of the most profound things you can do, particularly in an area like this, is if you've got an average house that is not impressive, you can have the courage to invite people over who might think, oh, this, this furniture is just Ikea. This food is not, blah, 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 blah. it's just reasonable. <laughs> you make yourself vulnerable. You don't let yourself off the hook of like oh I understand no no I remember as a young Christian living in these stinky student accommodation inviting <laughs> my pastor over and I didn't realize that it, that's not what you did you know and I was, I was a terrible Kirk and it was like he had to sort of step over laundry and like and he came and I was like Do you want to, I'm just so grateful for you and that was just to a Christian guy but the principle being like there is something I remember growing up in a house we had no money you know, all of our sofas and, and, and armchairs, they literally came from when the neighbors put them on the streets. We were like, yeah, we'll take those. They've got 10 more years of them. These crazy lime green stuff. And in they would come, and I went to a school with millionaires because I got the scholarship thing. So I was in this, you know, I went to school with the guy who d- designed the Dr. Martin boot, his dad, a 9 million pound house, like a million years ago. So these guys were like crazy rich, but our family loved Jesus and we, they would often come over and at first they'd be a bit shocked. They'd be like, oh, we're in what's called a council house, which was like a, well, you can probably f- figure it out. It wasn't like a cool house, let's put it that way. And they'd come in and there's books everywhere because my mum and dad were artists and drummers and they weren't all neat. And my mum didn't like hospitality. She never liked cooking, but she was, she was a good cook mum. I love you if you're listening one day. Um, but she didn't like it. But they would come in and I remember consistently they would say, Man, there's something here, though, that's just so homey and so like, loving and relaxed, and I feel safe. When you eat with people, you can let them in to see the real you, right? What I love, for example, in Luke chapter 7, it's another brilliant passage. Um, there's a, this beautiful... Um, Uh, verse 6 it says when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table and a woman in that town this is amazing who lived a sinful life which means she was a prostitute learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume as she stood behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man was a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You see how you have this vivid picture again around meat, eating. And, and it's amazing. Jesus is with this Pharisee, Simon, I think he is. And this woman, this. This prostitute most likely knows Jesus is around and she's so desperate to be with him, she bursts into this guy's house and starts, like, she unfurls her hair, which apparently was almost like being topless. It was really, like, shocking. I know we don't see it like that, but it was really like, whoa, what are you doing? And she starts massaging Jesus' feet. And and, and you see these two reactions. One theologian said, Jesus' silence... Is so eloquent he accepts her whereas the pharisee immediately rises up in judgment one one reaction repels one reaction draws her close listen to this it is amazing that jesus accepts sinners if you're making notes write this bit down it's amazing that jesus accepts sinners but what is more amazing is that sinners accept jesus it's amazing that he accepts them but what's more profound is that they accept him they want to be around him because when they were around Jesus they felt safe when they ate with Jesus for once in their life they felt safe she felt so safe she could unfurl her hair weep and massage his feet I mean that is <laughs> that's safe right that's vulnerable that is not like Jesus He's so holy, I can't cause... is extraordinary. Jesus' nickname was the friend of sinners. They loved him. They wanted him at their parties all the time. You see, when we eat with people, we, they get to see the real you. They get to hear about your brokenness, right? We get to talk about depression and anxiety and mental health. We, we, and they, they They come close. There's something about that, that Jesus wants this city, listen, to feel, cl- to feel safe with people of sanctuary. Our vision, we've said, is to find sanctuary in Christ, to be sanctuary together, and then listen, to express sanctuary to this city. That people will go, I have not trusted Christians before, but I'm learning slowly to trust. And the way that you can see it is because I, I even want to eat with this guy. I even want to eat with her I feel I feel safe enough to do that it's beautiful so beautiful I'll I'll never forget being invited into this pub group in England it wasn't mine it was run by the men of my street and once a month on a Friday said we meet at the King's Head and and it was their church basically the time where they talked about deep things these men but the more profound thing was that they felt they wanted me there the pastor that wasn't normal. That, that took years of building trust. So the, the challenge here is this. This is a real challenge. I know it's all challenging. Another challenge. This is not so much about you needing to invite lots of people over for meals. Have you noticed what Jesus says here? When you are invited, eat with them. The presumption is that you will be regularly being invited to eat with non-Christians. That non-Christians will know you enough and love you enough to want you in their life. Now, I find that a huge challenge at so many levels, but it's there. It's like Jesus' presumption is that you will be in your communities and streets and areas and workplaces, just out in life. And there'll be enough people who know you and really like you, and love you, and want you at their party, and want you at their meal. I don't know whether that is true of us. I hope it is. I was thrilled to hear just last week uh, one brother said he couldn't come to a, a meeting because they were having a meal with a friend of theirs uh, who I don't think's a believer, and I was like, that's so good that that they're eating. And that she wants them around. So, this is a real provocation to us. But, man, when, when Jesus does open those doors, um, man, we can do so much good simply through our presence and our time. And it's notice it's, it's, it's them going, it's the, it's the disciples going into their world not drawing people into arts. I'll never forget this brilliant book called Meals with Jesus. And the guy said that in Sheffield in England, um, that a a pastor, um, there's a lot of Kurds in in the UK. And he started going to a Kurdish cafe. And eventually, they said, hey, you want to come upstairs to our casino? And he was like, "Uh, okay." (laughs) Went up. It wasn't a casino. It was just a name for like a private club for these Beautiful Kurds who, who escaped you know uh, persecution many years ago and had settled in England. And he became part of that community and they loved him and he ate with them and he ate their Kurdish food and he accepted it, even though it was so different to his British tastes. And eventually, several of them came to faith, came to know Jesus Christ. And it was all through him just putting himself in that environment, that was so different to him, consistently building trust and accepting the invitation, he said, "What was so tragic was that just down the road, there was another cafe that was run by a church as an outreach to Kurds, which nobody ever went in, <laughs> and it was their kind of an outreach to the Kurds. And it was just like, just go to their cafe, be in their world, get in their world and see what the Holy Spirit will do. Now, this is phenomenal. Living somewhere like San Francisco, I mean, come on, we're spoilt I mean the world is here right there's like virtually no nationalities that are not represented here what a cultural beautiful mixing pot we we live in so thrilling in in the Bay and God can do so much so much and I want to say at this such a time as this when people have been starved of friendship and yes there's some barriers with masks I get that but man things are bit by bit changing so it points it points to us do you know how powerful you as a non-judgmental christian just loving people one person at a time over a meal how powerful that is man the enemy will try and tell you a million reasons why it's not that important for you and your life's other priorities i just want to say man i believe you have gotta eat right let's just say jesus like i know i have got to eat 21 times a week or for me it's a little more you know <laughs> 27 Lord, I want to use this, this could be my ministry <laughs> my great ministry to the city man I love it I love it I love it I'll never forget when I left Canterbury one of the saddest things was leaving this this Indian restaurant that i had been to hundreds of times and the guy who led it was a, a, a who who owned it was a Muslim called Kit and he was so sad he said, when, when when you're going to leave partly because I brought a lot of business to that place, I'm sure. But I, I remember just we talked about prayer, we talked about God, and it was just just over meals. It's over the food, it's over the meals. And the final thing and with this I'll finish, and then we'll break bread, and Manette's going to lead us into that was it also points to then. And what I mean by that is this, is, and you know this, uh, but in the Bible, heaven, or the next life is not us floating on a cloud. Now this is, this is a really important final point uh, I'm, I'm just making. Is that when we see eating as an important thing and something that we are looking to do regularly with those that we might not know that well yet. I think it also hints and in fact acts out something of our theology of the world to come. And therefore it hints and points to something of our theology of our God. You see I've said this so many times. A dear friend of mine, who's a brilliant professor, he, when I said to him, the Christian, the Christian message is that God loves this world, and although it's gone terribly wrong, he's died for this world to make a way for us to live in resurrection bodies on a resurrected earth with a resurrected Christ. That God isn't, we don't zoom off to heaven and float on a cloud. That Christ is going to return and renew and make all things new, and we will have for eternity resurrection bodies. Now, I know I mention this a lot, but it's so huge. Your eschatology, your view of the end times, shapes your view of the now. And so many of my friends who are non-Christians have never heard that. Oh, you mean you do care about the earth? Because I just hear about Christians who don't care. No, we do care about the earth, actually. I mean, you can, you know, everything can become extreme. But basically, we really do care about this beautiful earth. And therefore, what we're saying is, as it says, for example, in Isaiah 25... It says this, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. The Lord is going to cook for us. Of all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. And on this mountain, He will destroy the shroud that unfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces but he will remove his people's disgrace from all over the earth man when we eat when we break bread in just a few moments but when we eat every meal man it's this incredible gift to remind us and to remind those around us the God we believe in is a joyful God say joyful. joyful the very what's the first miracle he did when he started his ministry you know this let's get the wine flowing we've already had a lot of wine jesus you know jesus is like what we need is another 18 gallons no it wasn't 18 gallons. it was 120 gallons that was right i was trying to do the math so that it would sound to get into our heads an average american car has a 16 gallon tank right it was 120 gallons so that's like how many seven cars worth of wine that's jesus so you can get angry at me if I have a glass of wine I had someone text me just this week not from this church another another church they literally said if you or your congregation are drinking you're quenching the spirit out of the blue I was like thanks sister I'm gonna ignore that one I do not agree with you we're getting drunk I think you're spot-on but this is like this is so huge like we believe in a Jesus who loves physical bodies who loves your eye color who makes the wine flow who who says the next world will be a marriage supper of the lamb man this is good news this is immense news we must communicate the generosity and the goodness of God towards this earth if ever there's a time where Christians need to be able to even through eating together just communicating this this is this is God's gift I mean, I love the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's probably 15,000 if you include women and kids, right? 5,000 men, probably 15,000. And (laughs) there's 12 basket loads of, of leftovers. I love that little note. It's like Jesus is like, come on, a bit more bread. No, I can't, I'm going to be sick. Come on, ram it down. Jesus is just over the top. 12 basket loads. Man, this does my soul so much good so much good when i think i feel in this life lack i feel lack so often and that's real but man we are a people who have a great hope right that this is a temporary thing and that we every time we eat and we drink we proclaim something of the returning king the returning king and and as we and as we eat with those who don't know jesus man we can be praying in our hearts jesus let even this thing that they may just think is this pragmatic thing it's, it's a theological sermon in itself it communicates something of the goodness and the kindness of God on the way back from the retreat last week we had a great day retreat and on the way back uh, some of us <laughs> went to Super Duper Burger and we're all in there and, uh, and then Josie reminds us hey guys it's Manette's birthday soon and good old Hannah you know what Hannah's like Stands to her feet, beer in hand. Oi, listen up, it's Manette's birthday soon. You know what we should do. One, two, three, happy birth. And I saw these people kind of like, what's happening? And I saw this moment of like, the church, full of joy. Just consecrating a burger and food. Thank you, God, thank you for Manette. There's something eschatological was happening there. Breaking into a terribly serious, sophisticated area people with their little, no, the joy of God, the joy of God, amen? Man, this is good news, and I just feel like our Father wants us to, almost to get it into our hearts again, that this is, this is why he said break bread, break bread, break bread, but don't just break bread on Sundays in these little little, think about how do you take that essence into our areas, into our communities, how do we bring something of a taste of the world to come, which will be something of a party into our day in uh, our normal days um, in a way that communicates well we 're going to break bread and i 'm thrilled that uh, Manette is going to just connect. Uh